Uh, we're continuing, actually we're finishing a series today uh, called The Spirit, The God I Never Knew. And we've been taking the last few weeks and we're talking about the Holy Spirit. He's part of the Trinity that typically is either ignored or uh, it, it, some churches, it tends to be a little fringy how they talk about and address the Holy Spirit. Um, and so what we've attempted to do with this series is just really make it as simple and as approachable as possible because the Holy Spirit is not weird. What the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life is not weird. What the Holy Spirit wants to do is... Um, Glorify God, uh, empower the body, and for the message of Christ to go forward. That's really what the Holy Spirit is all about. And so what we've tried to do through this series is just unpack that together and help us see what it's really all about. Uh, week one of this series, my wife did a, a masterful job talking about who is the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the week after that, week two, we talked about wh what does he do? Uh, there was a number of things he does. Uh, the final thing we talked about was that he empowers. Uh, and then last week and this week, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, how he empowers, what that looks like. Because again, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of uncertainty about how the Holy Spirit moves and what that looks like in our lives. As I mentioned last week, I wanna reiterate to you, uh, anytime you see the phrase gift of the Spirit, almost always it comes from the Greek word uh, charisma. And that just means gift of grace. And so I wanna want to just reinforce the fact that gifts of the Spirit are not reserved for people that get to a certain level spiritually. So whenever we grow in our faith enough, then we deserve gifts of the Spirit. That's not how it works. The gifts of the Spirit uh, are accessible to believers who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So anytime um, we are saved and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are able to access the gifts of the Spirit, whether you are a pastor or a layperson, whether you have been saved your whole life or whether you're a brand new Christian. It does not make any difference. Uh, it is a gift of grace. We also believe that if we see it in the New Testament, God didn't shut it off. God still is at work in us today. Um, the things we see at work in the New Testament, we believe that the Holy Spirit is still at work. The person and work of the Holy Spirit is still for us today in our present day. He still wants to move. He still wants to change people's lives. Uh, how many of you know that we still are in need of miracles in the world we live in today? We're still in need for powerful moves of God in the world we live in today. That's not just for the first century church. So we believe that, we affirm that, and we believe God wants to do something powerful in and through us. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse one. Most of our verses, uh, the passages we're gonna be talking about today are from First Corinthians 12 or First Corinthians 14. Uh, so you can keep those bookmarked if you like. But First Corinthians 12, one says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, what Paul is saying is, I want you to know about these spiritual gifts. You need to be aware. You need to be familiar. You need to inform yourself. You need to hear about what they're about so that, so you don't just go through in a, in a blase kind of way. You have to know what these things are about so that you can apply them and work in them and flow in them. Skip on down to verse four and it says this. It says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, and this is really key, it's really important, we're gonna land on this several times today. Uh, the, the manifestation of the Spirit in believers is for the common good, it's for the edification, for the building up of the saints, and it's for the drawing of unbelievers. And if the manifestation of the Spirit happens in your life and it doesn't serve these purposes, it's not really a manifestation of the Spirit. It's probably a manifestation of your flesh. And so what Paul is saying here is to make sure 
that the, the goal and the focus of the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good. He goes on to say, and he lists the gifts out. He says, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of languages, to another the interpretation of languages. And then he says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So again, the Holy Spirit owns the gifts. We don't own the gifts. We have access to the gifts, but he owns the gifts. So he, he disperses those. He gives us access to those as he wills. And the gifts are for the common good. Did I say that already? Because I want to make sure you understand they're for the common good. And I'll probably say it about four more times, so don't worry. Uh, last week we talked about there's three categories of spiritual gifts that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, the first category we talked about last week, they're dynamic gifts. These are the gifts of supernatural faith, of, of healings, of miracles. Um, those are the ones we hit last week. This week, we're gonna start with another category, and th these are the discerning gifts. So I'm gonna start with word of knowledge. Um, and I mentioned this, but Jesus flowed in all of the spiritual gifts. He accessed all of them during his time in ministry. Because it's easy to look at the life of Jesus and assume that he cheated because he was God. We go, oh, of course he did miracles. He's God. But what Jesus did was he set aside his Godhood. He didn't access his Godhood in order to do miracles. What he did is he lived as a man, but he he accessed the Holy Spirit to do the miracles. So he did what we are able to do as well. That's why when he says, hey, greater works will you do than I did? He can say that with confidence, with full assurance that it can happen because you have access and I have access to the same Holy Spirit he did. So he, he can say that to us because um, he didn't access his Godhood to perform miracles. So Jesus accessed the Holy Spirit. So when we think about all these different gifts we're going through, these are the gifts that Jesus accessed during the course of his ministry. Now imagine if churches and believers began to access the gifts of the Spirit in the same way, how it would change our community, how it would change our world um, if we just began to believe and trust God and step out in faith. The first gift we're gonna look at in the discerning gifts is the word of knowledge. Uh, and word of knowledge is just simply the Holy Spirit allowing us to know something that we didn't learn by natural means. Uh, it's, it's the Holy Spirit downloading um, information into us. And Jesus did this a lot. I used to be a little nervous. Like I used to think I would not have wanted to hang out with Jesus because have you ever seen a passage in scripture where it says, um, and he knew what they were thinking or he knew their thoughts? This happens several times in scripture where Jesus is interacting with people and he knows what they're thinking. Now again, this wasn't his deity that did that. It was his empowerment in the Holy Spirit. He had a supernatural word of knowledge. He knew what they were thinking. And I used to, I used to think, man, I don't, want, I don't want Jesus to know what I'm thinking. So I wouldn't wanna be around him until I realized, oh yeah, Jesus does know what I'm thinking. Right now he knows what I'm thinking. And then it kind of freaked me out. I was like, oh no, he knows what I'm thinking, right? But he knows what you were thinking. And on earth, he knew what the people around him were thinking at times. He had access to that because of the gift of knowledge. He knew it. Um, in John chapter four, there's this great story. There's a woman who was a Samaritan. And a few weeks ago, we talked about, we mentioned how Jews and Samaritans were not, they didn't coexist very well. And so uh, Jesus was sitting at this well outside the Samaritan town and the Samaritan woman comes out to the well and she comes by herself because of her lifestyle. She's not accepted by the rest of the women. They would usually come together to the well a couple times a day. So she comes out separately to this well and Jesus is sitting there and they begin to have this conversation. He, he talks to her. 
And this is strange, number one, because he's a man talking to a woman normally didn't happen, but then also he's a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. So they strike up this conversation, they begin talking, and, and Jesus, in the course of the conversation, says something about her husband. And she says, well, I'm not married. And he says, you do well to say you're not married because you've been married five times. And the person you're shacked up with now, he's not your husband either. And the Bible doesn't say shacked up. I just threw that in there. So he says, the, the guy that you're living with right now is not even your husband. And she says this profound statement. She says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. It's like, wow, that's incredible. How did you guess that he was a prophet, right? She, he just read her mail. He called her out on it. How did he do that? This was a supernatural word of knowledge from God. The Holy Spirit spoke to him and he called her out. Now listen, this is what happens though. He didn't do that to shame her or to punish her. He does this and then it begins to break down these walls because she recognizes, man, there's something about this guy. And they begin to have a deeper conversation about worship and about religion and about faith. And she finally goes, okay, hold on just one second. I gotta go tell some people about this. She goes back to her village and she brings the people out and they're so impressed, they get him to stay. So he stays two days teaching them. And then they finally get to the place where they go, listen, um, we thought at first we were impressed because of what you did for her, but now we recognize you are who you say you are. So, so what happened? Well, Jesus brought a word of knowledge to this woman, he spoke something into, into her life that he shouldn't have known ordinarily, naturally. The Holy Spirit gave it to him. And he didn't do that just for show or just to prove how good he was. He didn't do that. He did that so that the walls would be broken down and an, and an opportunity for legitimate ministry could happen there. Because the word of knowledge didn't change her, but it broke down a barrier. And this is what the gifts of the Spirit do. The gifts of the Spirit help break down barriers so ministry can happen. See, um, over and over and over, like we talked about healings last week. When somebody's healed, um, yes, God wants the person to be healed, but more than what God wants in their physical body is God wants, uh, God wants to be magnified and glorified to the world. God wants people to be able to go, man, they were healed because we serve a good God, because glory should fall on God. And so that's what every gift of the Spirit is for, to break down walls, to break down barriers so that ministry can happen, so lives can be changed. And this is what we see in the circumstance. So we see, first of all, this word of knowledge. We also see word of wisdom. Uh, word of wisdom is just a divine answer or solution to a particular problem or question. Um, this happened with Jesus constantly. Uh, he was confronted with critics. He was confronted with, um, with, with people who were cynical about his, his claims of who he was. And they would try to trip him up. They would try to trick him constantly. And it, did you ever notice in Scripture, he never, ever, ever gets questioned and goes, you know what, I'm not sure. Give me 10 minutes, I'll be right back. He, he never goes, um, Siri, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> What are we gonna do about marriage and divorce? Like, he never does that, does he? He responds. You know why he does that? He does that because I believe that the Holy Spirit gives him this word of wisdom to be able to speak into a situation in a way that can bring glory to God. Um, that's one of the things that God does with the word of wisdom. Uh, God empowers us to know things or to speak things that, that we need help with. My dad worked highway construction for 30 years, and he was one of the last guys in his company to get to the level of leadership he was at without having an engineering degree. So all the younger guys that came behind him all had engineering degrees, and, and um, my dad's 
great, brilliant guy. Um, he knows construction. But he, I remember him telling me when I was younger that there would be times he would encounter a problem he just don't know, didn't know the answer for. He didn't know how to get through a situation. They'd encounter a problem uh, from an engineering perspective, from a construction perspective, and he just didn't know the answer. And then he would just have a eureka moment like, oh, I got it. And I realize now, I look back and I realize that I, I really believe that was a word of wisdom, that he was stuck in a situation going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And, and the Holy Spirit downloaded this wisdom to him so he could go, okay, here's what we do to get through this. And I think this is applicable in our lives. We have access to a word of wisdom. Because um, how many of you know, sometimes you're in a situation, you don't know the answer and you don't know how to solve this problem. And God can download wisdom to you to help you get through your situation. There's a, a story in John chapter nine. Jesus had healed a man who was blind since birth. So he was born as a blind person and he had never seen. So he'd spent his life as a beggar. And Jesus comes along and he heals this man one day. And the religious leaders were so up in arms about it that they call this, this beggar in to basically an inquisition. They wanted to find out what happened. So they, they call him in. And, and in this day and age, this man was probably not educated at all. He probably had no formal education. So he was not, he was not a Rhodes Scholar. He was not getting the uh, scholarships. Anything. I mean, he was just common. He was begging. That's all he knew to do. And so they call him in, and the men that are asking him questions are guys that have studied the, the religious law since they were old enough to read. They knew scripture forward and backward. They knew language. They were intelligent. They were some of the most intelligent men of their day. So when you bring this uneducated beggar into the room, you have to know it's a mismatch of epic proportions. So they begin to ask him questions, and he begins to respond. And it is evident quickly that he is not functioning in his normal intelligence level, that he is speaking wisdom that I really, really believe was downloaded to him from God, that he was speaking to them in such a way that he, he basically shamed them. He mic drop, walked out of the room, and he had no reason to be able to do that. He was not smart enough. He was not educated enough. He was a beggar from birth, but here he is uh, facing uh, the, these Intellectual, intellectual giants, and he outwitted a group of guys that he should have, shouldn't have even been in the same room with. Why? Well, because I really believe he had this word of wisdom to be able to bring to the table and bring to this discussion. The third thing in the discernment gifts is the discerning of spirits. Now, some people, um, they, they don't understand what this is because they believe that it's simply discernment. And discernment and the discerning of spirits are two separate things. So when we're talking about the gifts of the spirit, we're talking about the ability to, um, to have supernatural insight into spiritual activity, okay? Um, and we'll get to what discernment, just normal discernment is in just a moment. So when we look at the gift of the spirit, what we're talking about is being able to see supernaturally into spiritual activity. Um, I mentioned this last week. I don't believe every time something bad happens to me, uh, it's because the devil is out to get me. If I get a flat tire, I don't think it's a demon giving me a flat tire. Sometimes I think I just haven't taken care of my tires very well and I got a flat tire. There's just consequences of living in the world we live in sometimes. And so um, I don't always chalk it up to the devil, but I will tell you with that in mind that there's spiritual activity happening all around us, that, that Paul makes it clear that we are in a spiritual battle 
And just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not real. We live in a world that tends to believe the things we can interact with, the things we can sense with our five senses, see, taste, touch, feel, and smell are the things that are real, and everything else is somehow not real. But what Paul says is that the things that are not seen are more real than the things that are seen. And so what we have to understand is there's spiritual activity all around us. Now, I will tell you this. um, I do not believe a Christian can be possessed by a demon, okay? I don't believe that at all. Um, I own my house. If someone tried to come and take possession of my house, they would have a fight on their hands because it's my house. Really, it's the bank's house. I get to keep my stuff there, but you know what I'm saying, right? (laughs) It's my house. Does that make sense? So you wanna take my house, you gotta fight on your hands because it's mine. And in the same way that I own my house, uh, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, Jesus has the deed to you. You are bought with a price. You are purchased in the, with the blood of Christ that you are his. So you cannot be possessed by another because they would have a fight on their hands. And let's be honest, it's not even a fight. Do, do the nail and the hammer, do they have a fight really? No, of course not. And in this situation, Jesus is the hammer. He would take care of that. There wouldn't be a question. So you are bought with a price. You are owned by Christ when you're a Christian. But I will tell you this. I believe Christians can be influenced by demonic activity. Um, It doesn't mean we're possessed. We have to do certain things. But if we're just gonna be honest, I've seen good, godly, God-fearing people do too many crazy things to believe that they can't be influenced by demonic activity. Uh, I mentioned earlier We've got our kids' pastor, Justin Quarry. Just, I love Pastor Justin. He's a great guy. Um, if you see him today, you might notice he's wearing a Cubs hat. The only way you can explain that he's a Cubs fan is that he's influenced by demonic activity, I think. That's, <laughs> there's no other way around it than to explain. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I will tell you, though, I believe Christians can be influenced. I don't think it's common. I don't think it happens all the time. But I think it, it can happen. And what this gift of the Spirit does is it allows us to be able to see through the facade and see to what's real. It allows us to be able to see uh, spiritual activity for what's really happening. There's a story in Acts chapter 16. Uh, The Apostle Paul, he was going and ministering and um, setting people free and healing people. All these incredible things were happening. And there was this girl that was following him and his team around. And she she was... Uh, not saying anything bad. She was actually declaring that they were actually servants of God. These are servants of God, and she was declaring that and saying that. And and the backstory on this girl was that she was a slave. She was owned by uh, a man or a group of men who who used her because she was possessed, and the Bible tells us she was possessed by a demon, uh, a spirit of discernment was, was uh, I mean, a, a divination, I'm sorry, div- divination was on her. So the spirit of divination was on her. And what divination is, is it allowed her, this, this demon allowed her to see things about people. So the demon would tell her things about people and she would reveal it and she seemed like she was supernatural. And divination also has to do with the future. So she would tell them things that might happen in their future and, and reading palms and fortunes and that kind of thing. And she was making her owners a lot of money because people were paying to know that. And I, and I just want to say this for the record. Um, there is one who knows the future. And it's not a palm reader. 
It is not a tarot card reader. It's not a fortune teller. It's not a fortune cookie from the buffet you go to. None of those things know your future. There's one who knows your future, and it's God. He's the one who, who started your story at the beginning. He's the one who's gonna finish your story at the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Now, there is no one who knows your story and can tell you what your future holds except God. And I got bad news for you. He's normally not telling you. We all wanna know, though, don't we? How long am I gonna be in my job? Um, who am I gonna marry? What is this gonna look like? But God doesn't tell us. That's why we have faith. So when this girl comes along and she's telling people's future, she wasn't telling them their future. She was telling them information about themselves that this demon was telling her. And so Paul recognizes the spiritual activity. He has this, this gift of discerning of spirits and he, he speaks to it. He speaks to this demon and casts the demon out. And you think that's a great thing, right? People would celebrate, but it, was, it wasn't because the owners were mad because they lost their income, their revenue stream. And so they hauled him into court and they, they had him arrested. But what do we see here? She was saying the right things. She was doing the things that you would think were the right things to do. But Paul still recognized there was a, a demonic activity going on and he calls it out. Why did he recognize it? Was he just smart? No, I really believe he had the, the gift of discerning of spirits. He, he was accessing that and functioning in that. Hebrews chapter five talks about how um, we can flow in discernment, not the gift of discerning of spirits, but actual discernment with our natural senses to distinguish between good and evil. That is something as Christians, as we mature in our faith and grow in our faith, that we should learn what it means to discern between good and evil. Uh, it, it doesn't take... Uh, uh, somebody who's steeped in biblical knowledge to be able to go, you know what, I don't know if they're a good guy. Like, we should be able to see that and know that and sense that by what they do and don't do. Um, you, you shouldn't have to say, God, I need some wisdom. Is this person gonna be a good friend for me? Well, no, if they're surrounded with drama and they gossip, they're probably not gonna be a good friend. Like, you don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you that. You can use your senses. Does that make sense? And that's what discernment is. That's where we walk in discernment in our normal life, but then we access the gift of discerning of spirits for specific spiritual activity. Now, that takes the, this first part. Let me hit the next part. The, the next three gifts we're gonna cover are declarative gifts. Um, and these are gifts that typically are spoken out loud. Um, well, they all are spoken out loud. Uh, the first one we're gonna hit today is prophecy. And when we look at prophecy, typically we go, oh, prophecy, it's talking about the future. And prophecy can be talking about the future, but what we don't do with prophecy a lot of times is realize that prophecy is really more about um, edification and building up and encouraging than it is telling something specific about the future. Um, let me read you a couple passages of scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse one. And I'll read this verse a couple more times, but it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And again, people freak out because they go, but I don't wanna prophesy. I, don't, I have to speak in the King James, don't I? Because if you prophesy, don't you have to say something like, henceforth thus saith the Lord of hosts, thou shalt unto me worship, right? Like it has to be in a certain voice and you gotta talk deeper or something like that. Isn't that what prophecy is supposed to be? No, no, that's not what prophecy is supposed to be at all. Let's unpack it a little more. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse three says, um, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So what does prophecy do? It builds up the church when someone prophesies. Um, what's it for? Well, prophecies speak to the people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Said in a little different way, it, prophecy can be, 
telling what might be happening in the future, but primarily it's for edification, exhortation, and comfort. It's to build up the body of Christ. It's to help us. So when you look at the Old Testament, you look at an Old Testament prophet, and you think of the Old Testament prophets as hellfire and brimstone. That God's gonna bring judgment, and it's bad, and you're all in deep trouble, right? But when you look at it in context, what the Old Testament prophets were doing is they were declaring the character and nature of God. Here's who God is. Here's what your activities are doing. And here's how your activities are are bringing you into conflict with a righteous, holy God. Now, God is gonna bring judgment on you, but God is also so good, he's giving you an opportunity to repent. So even in that moment, we're reflecting or the prophets were telling and proclaiming the character and nature of God to give them an opportunity to turn from their ways so that they weren't punished. So, because we think God is punitive, that he just wants to squash us, but that is not God's heart. God wants to restore us. And that's even what the Old Testament prophets were saying. They were saying, God wants to restore you and bring you home, but the track you're on right now is leading to destruction. So turn Make a different choice. Submit yourself to God. Because again, even in that, we're seeing the heart of God for his people. Because God loves us. God's for us. Yes, he's righteous. But he's also crazy about us. He's in love with us. And he wants the best for us. That's what prophecy does. Prophecy is primarily for edification, exhortation, comfort. That's what it does in our lives. And that's how it functions in our lives. The next part is, um, and really these next two, these final two gifts of the Spirit really flow together. So I'm gonna talk about them kind of jointly. Uh, it's messages in unknown languages and interpreting these messages. First um, Corinthians 12 and 14 talk specifically about gifts of the Spirit. And we see the Corinthian church was kind of a mess because what was happening is they were edifying or they were, they were uh, elevating the specific gifts while at the same time um, they were kind of ignoring um, the, the giver of gifts in some ways. So they were so excited about the gifts that they kind of forgot about everything else. And what was happening in their church is, um, is there would be a message in an unknown language and then somebody else would give a message in an unknown language and then someone else would give a message in an unknown language and then someone else would give a message in an unknown language. And what they were seeing happen is nothing productive was happening because it was all about, hey, look at me, I'm being used by God. And, and what Paul is trying to do in 1 Corinthians, uh, especially in 12 and 14, is bring correction to the, the church because they had gotten sideways. They were, they were kind of a mess. And so what he's trying to do is help them um, set aside their pride so that God could be glorified in their midst. And so what he does is he, he sandwiches, um, he's got 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, but if you've, if you've read this, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. And you go, well, wait a second, that doesn't even make any sense. Why, didn't, why did he do that? Why, why would Paul put love in between these two chapters about gifts of the Spirit and correction and the right way to do it? And, and I think the answer is that Paul wants us to understand that there's something more important than uh, manifestations of the Spirit. And it's a manifestation of love. God wants us to love people really well and he wants us to love him really well. And if we will do those things uh, and prioritize those things, then the manifestations in our lives, these gifts of the spirit will happen in a more appropriate way. But what was happening is people were prioritizing themselves over the other person and they were, they were taking advantage and they were having a lot of pride in their gifts. 
And so Paul's trying to squash that and help them see what's really important. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he just finishes talking about love and then he transitions into chapter 14 and he says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So he's trying to bring their attention back on helping the body instead of just being used. So he says, love people really well and pursue the spiritual gifts, but especially prophecy because a prophecy edifies the body, strengthens the body, lifts up the body. And he says, for the one who speaks in the tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but, the, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. I just wanna make this clear. I didn't make that verse up. I didn't add that. Sometimes I'll read a verse wrong just to mess with you a little bit, and then I'll come back and correct it. I'm not doing that here. He actually says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And so when you read that, you go, ah, well, see, he says, I want you to speak in tongues, but I really want you to prophesy. So he downgrades the gift of messages in unknown languages. Well, he does, but let's follow that up with the next verse. He says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So what's he saying? He's saying the gift of messages in unknown languages are really important. And if you've got to pick one of the gifts of the Spirit to work, it's gonna, it needs to be the one that builds up the body. Because remember, what is the purpose of the, the manifestation of the Spirit? For the common good. It's to build up the body, to draw unbelievers. And if, if the manifestation of the Spirit is not doing that, we're doing it wrong. It's not the Holy Spirit's fault, it's our fault. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 to say, if I pray in a tongue or if I pray in an unknown language, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what are we looking at? There's, there's, as human beings, there's three part of us, spirit, soul, and body. Unfortunately, this is your body. You're stuck with whatever you've got, okay? But your spirit is the portion of you that's renewed when you uh, make a decision for Christ, when he uh, covers you. That's the part of you that's going to heaven, okay? That's renewed part of you, the spirit. Um, your soul is, is what we'll call your mind. So when you pray with your mind, you're praying with your soul. And what that really is, is um, that's every time you normally pray. So when you pray before a meal, you pray for your kids before they go to bed, um, uh, you're, you're praying in church maybe and you have a moment where you go, okay, what am I gonna say to God? Okay, what am I gonna thank God for? What am I gonna praise him for? What am I gonna ask him for? That's praying with your mind. So what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 is he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So he's saying, I'm accessing part of me that I normally don't access when I pray with my mind. But he says, in this moment, I'm praying with my spirit. So then he follows that up and says, so what am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. So he's saying they're both important. It's not an either or proposition. It's an and both. What we see here is Paul's talking about two different things. He's talking about a public gift, but he's also talking about a private grace. And the public gift is what we see corporately at work whenever um, there is a message in an unknown language. And we'll see this in just a moment, but Paul makes it really clear if there's ever a message in an unknown language. Remember, the goal is for the common good. So if that ever happens, then there has to be an accompanying uh, interpretation of that message for the common good of the body. So there's a public gift, but then there's a private grace. We see throughout the New Testament when believers, uh, people are, are, are Christians, and they have this subsequent encounter with the Holy Spirit, this empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their lives, um, it is not uncommon for them 
to speak in another language. And what we see is that um, this is different than the gift of messages in unknown tongues for the body. This is a spirit uh, given from the spirit. It's a prayer language, something that is personal for one person to God. And, and this is the two different things that Paul's talking about. So when he's talking about praying in the spirit and he says things like, I want you all to speak in tongues, what he's saying is, hey, I'm bringing correction and I don't want you all speaking in tongues. So what he actually says in 1 Corinthians 14 is, hey, let's limit the number of messages in unknown tongues to two or three and that's it in a service, okay? So when you're gathered together, we want it to be in order. Um, we don't wanna scare off unbelievers because the point is to build up the body and draw unbelievers. So we're not gonna do it in a crazy way. So we're gonna limit it to two or three. So when Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues, he's not saying, everybody, together now. What he's saying is, this is a private moment. This is a prayer language between you and God. Now, like I said, I believe whenever we're empowered with the Holy Spirit, we have access to that prayer language. But like every gift of the Spirit, we have to be in agreement with the Spirit in order to activate the gifts of the Spirit. So, the Spirit's not gonna come to us and go, hey, I want you to prophesy. And you're gonna go, I'm not prophesying. You're gonna prophesy. I'm, I'm, no, you can't make me. And then the Holy Spirit, yes, you're gonna prophesy right now. It's like a talk you have with your child and you go, you tell your sister you're sorry. Mm -mm. You better tell your sister you're sorry right now. No, tell your sister, I'm sorry, right? And you're like, okay. She was not in agreement with me, but I made her do it. Like the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that. We have to be in agreement with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not gonna prophesy through us unwillingly, unwilling prophesying. That's not how it works. We have to be willing and engage that. And so just like uh, the other gifts, I would say with, our, with the, the praying in the Spirit, if we're not engaged that, we don't activate that, we might have access to it, but, but we don't see it work in our lives. Um, I came back from India um, a few weeks ago, and the first Saturday night I was here, a girl came up to me um, named Megan. Megan's running our tech for us this weekend. But Megan came up to me and she said, um, hey, did you, get, did you get my gift? I don't know what you're talking about. She said, well, hold on, hold on one second. And she ran from the lobby into the kitchen in our church over here and she came back out and she was carrying this white container. And this container was a quart of God's greatest ice cream he ever made. It was from the meadows. And she turned it up and on the top it said, peanut butter, Oreo, swirl. And then it had my name on it. And one solitary tear began to flow down my face and a light shined down from heaven and an angel, angelic choir began to sing. How, no, but there was this moment I was like, oh my gosh, what an incredible gift. Thank you so much. And she said, well, to be honest with you, uh, I forgot that when it, when, it, when it happened. So I called my husband at work the next day and said, get to the meadows and pick him up his peanut butter Oreo swirl so he can have it when he comes back. And I was like, man, that was so thoughtful. It was so great. So I appreciated them doing that. But this is the thing. What if they'd have brought me that gift and I'd been like, oh, what a great gift. This is fantastic. I'm gonna put it in the freezer, so I, I don't wanna eat it all right, so I'm gonna put it in the freezer. And I put it in the freezer. And people go, man, Meadows, and they closed today, by the way. This is a public service announcement. So, um, so what if they, they said, hey, man, Meadows, you know, it's December, and we don't, oh, no, we don't have any Meadows. And I'm like, oh, I've got the Meadows. Oh, you do? Yeah, I do. It's in the freezer. I can access it anytime I want. Is it good? Well, I'm not really sure. I, I haven't eaten it because I've got it in the freezer, but I can have it anytime I want. Okay. January, oh, I wish I had some meadows. Oh, I've got meadows, it's, it's in the freezer. Is it good? I don't know. I can access it anytime I want though. And this is what we do with the Holy Spirit sometimes. As believers, 
we go, hey, I have access to the Holy Spirit. Well, is it good? I don't know. I mean, I mean I've never engaged it before. I've never, I've never experienced it before. But I mean, I know it's there, so that's good. But if we don't experience it, it doesn't make any difference in our lives. Then the Holy Spirit's not gonna force himself on any of us. We, we invite him. He gives us a gift and we accept the gift. We readily, actively accept the gift. And that's what empowers, that's what changes things around us. So when it comes to uh, this private grace, or this public gift, when it comes to messages in unknown languages, really virtually any of the gifts we've talked about, they're gifts and we have access to them. But it's up to us whether we engage or not or whether we leave it in the freezer. Praying in the Spirit does a couple of things. It speaks to God. Paul said, uh, we're not doing it for people, we're doing it for God. Uh, it also builds up the one who's praying. In Jude chapter one, verse 20, it says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most high faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. He's talking about building ourselves up in the faith. Something about praying in the Spirit builds us up and helps us. I can't explain it, but I know it works. And Paul says, it's his desire that all believers would speak in tongues. It's his desire. He, he sees the value. He sees the importance. So it's something we have to understand. I mentioned this earlier. The, the last one is interpreting the messages. It's so important for us to understand that these two things have to come in together. If, if there is a public message, whether it is in a corporate worship setting, whether it is um, in, a, in a small group setting, anytime there's someone else there and you speak in an unknown language as empowered by the Spirit, there better be an interpretation following that. Because again, the goal is the common good. And if they don't understand what's going on, it doesn't do any good. Uh, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 5. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Again, he says, if, if somebody speaks in an unknown language and you don't understand it, it's not gonna help you. We went to India, I mentioned this a minute ago, but we went to India, took a great team, and while we were there, we did this youth camp. So I preached some of the messages, and then there was a, a, a pastor, a local pastor, he speaks Hindi, he preached some of the messages. And he preached for an hour. If you think you get bored with me, Imagine if there was a guy preaching for an hour and you didn't understand anything he said. Uh, so he's preaching in Hindi and it's hot and it's humid and it's muggy and you're comfortable and a little you're tired in your eyes. And I was looking at the team and you would think the team was all in agreement. They were nodding, but they weren't. They were nodding like, oh, because I love the Lord, but it was hard for me to engage when I didn't understand what he was talking about. I didn't have any idea, so it was hard to receive anything from that because I just didn't understand. But, but what we see is there has to be an interpretation to bring understanding. The same guy that was preaching, his name is Rakesh Paul, and Rakesh told me this story. He said he was preaching at this remote village, and um, he said most of the people there had no education at all. And he said he was the only person there that, that knew English. And he, uh, he was conducting this, this worship experience, this service, and uh, there was someone, this, this, he called her an elderly lady. I don't know what that means exactly. In India, it's a little different than here. But he said she was from the village, uh, uneducated. He said she, she got up and she began sharing a message in an unknown language. And he said, but the thing was, um, I knew the language. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, she was talking in English. 
He said she was speaking in perfect English. She'd never been educated, never been um, formally educated in any way. Nobody in the village knew English. He said, I was the only one there that knew what she was saying. He said, but I heard what she said. I interpreted what she said and the body was built up because of that. That's how that gift works in the public setting and when there's an interpretation. This is what I would say uh, to you as well, just as a kind of a side note. Um, The prayer language is different and it's not for public consumption. So when someone prays in the spirit, um, it is not for everybody, it's for you. And so uh, just so you know, that would not be something that would happen from a mic here in this place because if it did, then there would need to be an interpretation. So the, the prayer uh, in the spirit is separate than the message uh, in an unknown language. And the message in the unknown language, that is what demands a interpretation so that it builds up the body. He comes back in verse six and says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? He's saying, it's my job to bring something to the body that benefits and builds up the body. So if all I'm doing is making noise, then it doesn't help. He goes on in verse 12 to say, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. What he's saying is, if you feel like the spirit's speaking to you to bring a message in an unknown language, you better be ready to interpret said message. Be ready to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about that as well. He says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in a position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? So again, Paul brings this back to outsiders. So many churches that get in trouble with the gifts of the spirit get in trouble because we're insider focused. We're focused on what we get and what we have and how we function. But what Paul says is, no, no, no. The focus has to be on building up the body and reaching unbelievers. So he focuses here on the outsider, the person who comes in from outside the church. Help them understand what, what is going on and what should be happening. And he goes on to say in verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. It, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather five words with my mind, I would rather utter or speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I think I've made this clear. There's never, ever, ever a moment when a message in an unknown language happens that publicly, that interpretation doesn't happen. It should happen so that it builds up the body. Again, the theme for this has been that the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good. They're to build us up. They're to draw on believers. And if that's not happening, it's not a gift of the Spirit that's at work. God wants us to flow in this. And it's not so we can um, be different or better or any of those kind of things. It's so we can reach people more effectively. I've had so many people say, Mel, there's just something about this church. I don't know. I just feel drawn to it. It just feels comfortable. It feels like home. Uh, it feels like family. I, we hear those comments a lot. And I love that. But I'll be perfectly honest with you. It's, it's not because of me. It's not because of my preaching. It's not because of Todd or the worship team, although they do a great job. It's not because of my wife. She's fantastic. Uh, it's because the Holy Spirit is at work in our church. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's the one who consoles us. He's the one who helps us. So when we come into this place, the Holy Spirit is already at work among us. But what I wanna see is the Holy Spirit at work among you. I wanna see you flowing in the Holy Spirit so, I can, so that God can see you as a minister. Because this is the thing. Jesus said, greater works than I will you do. That's what he said. He says, you are a minister. So how are you gonna do that? The only way we can do it effectively is by accessing the power 
and anointing and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives to effectively reach our community and effectively reach our world. And that's what God wants for you. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And that's what he wants for you. Let's pray. Lord, I love you and I'm grateful that you're among us, that you've spoken life into us today. I pray that you would encourage us and bless us. God, I pray for people here who are still unsure about the Holy Spirit, about the empowerment of the Spirit. God, I pray that you would help us see truth in your word. Help us respond to you in a way that brings glory to you as well. God, I pray uh, for each person that's here, that you'd help us hear clearly from you and help us be bold enough to follow you and pursue you wherever you take us. Have your way among us. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed today, if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what, I'm not really a Christian, I'm not really following Christ. Um, all the things you talked about are fine, but to be honest with you, I don't even have a relationship with God and I want to today. I wanna start that. Or maybe you wanna come back to a relationship with him, whatever the case is. If that's you, um, I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray with you where you're at. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna come back to him. Would you be bold enough just to raise your hand real high where I can see it? No one else is looking around. And you can put your hand down. Thank you so much, ma'am, in the back of my left. Thank you here in the center section. Who else? Say, that's me. Pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to come back to him. Thank you. Over here on my left. I see you. Awesome. Anyone else? Real quickly. Okay. Thank you. Up in the balcony. I see you. You can put your hand down, sir. Praise the Lord. I'd like every person in this place to pray this prayer with me. Whether you raised your hand or not, say this prayer out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me, even when I didn't deserve it. Today, I'm asking you to take my life and use it for your glory. Thank you for saving me and thank you for paying the price for my sin on the cross. Use my life for your glory however you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, um, if you prayed that prayer today, whether you raised your hand or not, if you prayed that prayer today, uh, I'm so excited for you. I'm so uh, proud of you. And I can't wait to see what God does in your life. Uh, if you prayed that prayer, there's a card that looks just like this one in the seat back in front of you. I'd love for you to fill this card out. Uh, fill this out and then drop it in the uh, the offering box before you leave today. Let us know about your decision that you made. If you'd rather not fill out the card, that's okay. You can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're gonna respond back to you and help you take the next step in your faith journey. We want you to grow in your faith. We want you to become the, the person that God wants you to be. And we wanna help you do that. So let us help you, help us help you. So let us know about your decision so we can help you with that. This is what's gonna happen right now. Our prayer team is gonna come forward as our worship team begins to lead us in one final song. So our prayer team is gonna be available as we worship and sing together. If you need prayer for any reason today, if you're here today and you wanna pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you can do that. If you're here today and you need a miracle in your life, Pastor Todd was talking about miracles earlier. Maybe you're that person who needs a miracle. Come find one of our prayer team members during this last song let us pray with you about that. Why don't you stand your feet all over the room? We're gonna worship together one more time before we're dismissed. Guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. Uh, thank you for being here today. I look forward to seeing you tonight at 6.30 for our night of worship. God bless you.